2: Welcome to ABG, Asian Boss Girl, a podcast for the modern-day Asian-American woman. I'm
3: Janet. I'm Mel. I'm Helen.
4: And I'm Andy Huang.
0: A few weeks ago, we released an episode talking about my pregnancy journey And in that episode, I mentioned that Philip and I had been intentionally trying to get pregnant and we feel very lucky to conceive fairly easily for our first time. However, this is not the case with many couples out there hoping to be parents one day. And we wanted to give the journey of pregnancy the full spectrum it deserves for anyone out there who has dealt with or is dealing with infertility. Thanks to modern assisted reproductive technology, we will be talking through the different options available to a couple, mainly focusing on IVF or in vitro fertilization and egg freezing today.
2: Yes, and we have brought on a very special guest. His name is Dr. Andy Huang, and he is part of a company that operates in Redondo Beach, Beverly Hills, Orange County, and Irvine called Reproductive Partners. He is board certified by the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology and Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility, and he completed a three-year fellowship specializing in reproductive endocrinology and infertility at the UCLA Medical Center. Since joining Reproductive Partners, Dr. Huang has received numerous recognitions, including Los Angeles magazine super doctors best doctors patient's choice award
3: compassionate doctor award and top 10 doctor award and dr wong has published numerous journal articles and textbook chapters focusing on stem cell development endometriosis and infertility and polycystic ovarian cancer he's a clinical instructor at the ucla david geffen school of medicine and was also featured on abc's newsmakers for his volunteer work in africa we are so excited to have him on the podcast please welcome to asian boss girl dr andy wong
4: i'm very honored to be here um I've heard some wonderful things about Asian Boss Girl. And even though I can't say I'm an Asian Boss Girl, I have uh, two Asian Boss Girls in the house. So I have my wife, obviously, uh, who is probably the ultimate Asian Boss Girl. Uh, don't Aww. tell my boys I said that.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
4: then we have my youngest in the family, which is the daughter, and Geneva, and she's 12, and she's our second Asian Boss Girl. So yeah, so Aww. we have uh, two Asian Boss Girls in our household.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much. We are honored to have you on our podcast today. And this is a topic that we've been wanting to talk about for a long period of time. So it's good mm-hmm. to get someone with your your caliber and your knowledge to just spread the information to all of us on this podcast and our listeners mm-hmm. as well. Um, so the first question that we want to ask you today is that you know i still feel like fertility is such a black box and i think a lot of people out there can agree with me on that when someone you know comes into your office usually at what stage of their lives and situations are they with their pregnancy journey and what symptoms are they usually facing when they step foot into your office
4: you a great great question and, and helen congratulations to you first of all um, oh, thank you But the reality is that, uh, you know, for the longest time, infertility has been a little bit of taboo, right? People didn't want to talk about it. It was a very private kind of personal thing that women and couples kind of kept to themselves. So it was that little black box. Um, You know, recently it's become kind of more, uh, you know, public and awareness in infertility, fertility preservation, which I'm happy to talk about as well, uh, has really come to kind of the forefront. great industry and and the tech companies have taken kind of, um, you know, the women's kind of uh, fertility to kind of the front, meaning that, you know, Google's and Apple's and Netflix are now covering egg freezing, which, you know, is amazing. And it, and it takes young talent, um, you know, and recognizes it and says, look, you're going to be working hard for this company. You know, we want to make sure that your future fertility, if it's going to be deferred, Um, that we'll have every chance of achieving a pregnancy later. And for the most part, you're right. It has been kind of very private. But now, you know, I feel like the way that things are changing and women are kind of uh, deferring kind of their families, as has been in the last kind of decade or two, people aren't afraid to talk about it. And that's why, you know, this conversation, this dialogue is so important. You're also not alone when you say that, you know, it took a little bit of time to, to conceive, you know, it varies the, the typical couple that comes to our office varies. Uh, we see kind of uh, young women who are kind of in the early thirties these days come in because they want to start the conversation of, they're not ready to start their family necessarily, but they want to kind of start understanding what their future fertility might be. So it's a, it's a great conversation to have early. So we see a lot of these women who are kind of in the young thirties starting their careers, recognizing that, you know, they don't want to start their family immediately, but they know mm-hmm. that family is important for them. And so now we're able to capture a good subset of women, you know, when the fertility is still quite good and kind of maintain that. Mm-hmm. We also in the other spectrum see kind of couples that have been trying to get pregnant for years, you know, so two years, three years, they've been trying. So something's holding them back. Um, mm-hmm. So we see that the typical infertility couple, mm-hmm. we're also starting to kind of see Um, couples in the LGBTQ community and um, that starting their family in the conventional way uh, is no longer conventional. So, you know, there are different ways to start families. And uh, so we see the gamut of young, we see older, we see, you know, uh, couples that um, also don't just want to uh, start their family. They want to have the conversation of fulfilling a family of two or three. And so it's nice to have that conversation early too. Mm. So sometimes we meet with couples, not just for starting the family, but the opportunity to grow their family later.
3: Yeah. It seems like you mentioned there's so many different types of couples that you meet with, you know, um, everyone has their own unique situation. How do you approach each couple situation when it comes to fertility?
4: Yeah, that, that's a great question. And um, and that's, that's why I kind of, I love what we do because every couple is unique. You know, we approach it kind of very uniquely. We try to focus on Their history, you know, have Mm. they only recently tried to get pregnant? Have they been trying for a longer time? We kind of find out what their medical history is like. You know, are there any kind of uh, comorbidities that increase the risk of infertility? Have they had surgeries? Um, Are they overweight, underweight? There are all these things that sometimes are pretty easy fixes, right? So, Mm. you know, when a couple comes to us and, and, you know, they want to kind of figure out what the etiology is. You we know, church we first try to figure out, and our philosophy at our practice it has been the same for the last 30 years. And that is, you know, we try to get every woman pregnant as naturally as possible. And while, you know, a big focus of perhaps this uh, podcast is gonna be on assisted reproductive technologies, um, you know, the best technology is kind of what's been tried and true. And that is kind of, you know, just trying at home, it's easier, it's more fun, it's cheaper. Um, so if there are things that we can pinpoint That might be kind of a a easy to fix kind of reason for infertility. We always try to target that. And as a last resort, yes, we do have amazing technology that allows us to achieve healthy pregnancies uh, and offspring, you know, as we've done for for many, many years. But, you know, we, we approach each patient kind of very uniquely, always trying to pinpoint kind of what might be the cause of the infertility, trying to fix the root of that before we jump ahead and talk about IVF.
2: Speaking of the root cause of infertility, um, we as a general populace have heard of everything from age to genetics to maybe even ethnicity. One of our listeners had shared that uh, she's heard infertility is particularly high among Asian women um, to lifestyle habits. You know, if you led a fairly maybe unhealthy lifestyle in your young adult years, uh, could that play a role? Um, or even and, you know, another listener was wondering if if they have been on birth control pills for a while, could that be a cause of infertility? Um, from your personal experience, what are like the top, maybe the top three reasons or causes that lead to infertility?
4: Yeah. So, and I want to go back to an earlier question. That is that, uh, you know, how often are we having these conversations? Mm-hmm. And the reality is that uh, approximately one in seven couples have a hard time getting pregnant, mm-hmm. okay? So while it has been kind of uh, taboo to talk about it, it's also um, very common, right? So that's 15% of the patient population for one reason or another. And it's a very diverse population and the etiology kind of varies. So all the things that you mentioned, age is a, is a big part of it. When you ask me kind of what the top three reasons um, that you know, women have a hard time conceiving, uh, it's probably age related. Um, secondary to that, there's a lot of male factor and while we'll focus on kind of, you know, um, the female etiologies, um, you know, we have to remember that there is an important second component and that is the male factor and the male factor probably depending on age of the couple, you know, may contribute anywhere from, you know, a third of the cause to half the cause. Okay. Um, so male factor is important. And then the, probably the third etiology is ovulatory issues that women just are not ovulate. Right. So, you know, especially in a pandemic setting where stress is high um, sometimes that stress can cause women to not ovulate consistently. And the easiest way to kind of get a idea of that is if your periods start to get a little irregular, right? So mm. you have pretty regular kind of uh, cycles that kind of are every kind of four weeks and it's pretty consistent and predictable. That's probably a good gauge of a woman's normal ovulatory function. As soon as that changes mm. a little bit and regular cycles become five to six weeks, or, you know, some people actually have a period once a year. Right. And so it's pretty clear that for them, they're having an ovulatory dysfunction, but it's also not so black and white. Okay. Weight causes uh, ovulatory dysfunction, both, you know, overweight and underweight. Okay. So we take care of a lot of patients, but we have to tell them you got to gain 10, 15 pounds, right? You're, you're too skinny your body's kind of in this fight fight or flight kind of uh, mode and it doesn't want you to ovulate and it's hard to get pregnant. Um, so, you know, ovulatory dysfunction would probably be kind of that third kind of uh, category of infertility. And then if you ask me a fourth category, then the fourth category would be anatomical things. Patients that have like prior surgeries, infections, and it causes their tubes to be blocked, or they're born with kind of a, a uterus abnormality that requires surgery to kind of fix that. So, and we'll talk a little bit more about age and its impact on egg quality. That's really important for our audience to understand that a lot of times it's not the fault of anybody. It's just, biology. And mm-hmm. as we all get older, men are fortunate, like their stem cells that continue to make sperm are still going strong, but women are born with the eggs that they have. So when mm-hmm. you're 20, you're young, you have lots of eggs and the egg quality is good. But as you get older, it's the same set of eggs that you were born with and it. So it only gets less and less, but it takes one egg to get pregnant with. So it's not like you need that many eggs to get pregnant with. So it's also the um, quality of the eggs that diminishes. We all get old. Mm-hmm. Now Asians are a unique po- Asian population. And I just want to kind of, because you know, um, I think our audience is predominantly Asian. Is that correct?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So I
4: do want to spend because not often do I get to kind of talk about kind of different uh, ethnic populations. But we know there is you know diversity among infertility. Now it's not to say that that Asians have more infertility. But for some reason, we have noticed in some studies that Asians that have infertility, all right, across the population, it's probably pretty equal. It's probably 15%, whether Asian, African-American, Caucasian, it's probably about 15%. But for some reason, the Asians that have infertility sometimes are a little bit harder to treat. We don't know why. And maybe it's that you know, the drugs that um, have been created to treat infertility have been kind of created kind of for certain populations. And so maybe kind of Asian receptors for medications are a little bit different. So maybe we respond a little bit differently. Um, So this is a great avenue of research that, um, you know we have to look into more, but it's not that Asians are more infertile, but that when Asians have infertility, sometimes it is harder to treat. For some reason they don't Mm. respond the same as Mm. non-Asian populations.
0: interesting Interesting. that is so i mean i wonder if that comes down also to the tests that are being done when these treatments were developed you know maybe the the demographic was more non-asian people and now it's it's being applied to asian people and and our bodies are just not as receptive to you know to what was done in the trial Mm -hmm. runs right and also just to what you were saying earlier because this was a question that i had is is that you know it, it seems like the socially accepted assumption is that it's usually the woman's fault for infertility, but you, you shine a light on the fact that half to a third of the quote unquote fault is usually due to the man. And I think that's something that is, you know, a data point that I really wanted to have us put out there as well. So thank you for, for shedding light on that.
4: But there, I just want to make sure I, I I answered questions specifically uh, for our listeners. Um, And so there was a question about, can being on birth controls cause infertility over time? Mm. Um, Not these days. So in the old days, when the when the dosage of hormones in birth control is a lot higher, Um, you used to get off of pills and you wouldn't have a period for a while. These days, uh, the dosages of hormones in in oral contraceptives is a lot lower. So it's very reversible. So within kind of Mm. uh, a month or two of stopping birth control pills, um, a woman's ovulatory cycle should resume if if there was no issues to begin with. Mm. But being on birth control sometimes masks it. Right, so mm-hmm. if you've been on birth controls for for five six years, you don't know what it would have been like had you gotten off the pills. So the reality mm-hmm. is that being on pills by itself alone uh, and getting off of it shouldn't be a reason why you shouldn't have regular cycles and ovulate again. Okay, unless there was an inherent thing that the birth controls was masking that that woman already had issues with ovulation disorders. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah.
3: Here at ABG, it definitely feels like we wear multiple hats. One day we have our podcast hat on and we're recording episodes. The other day we have our strategy hat and we are creating pitch decks to send to brands. First impressions are everything. And if you're looking to make an impact with your content, you need Issue. The easiest way to make your creative ideas come to life and share everywhere you want to be seen. As someone who doesn't have any formal design background, Issue is super helpful and works seamlessly with tools we already use, like Canva, Dropbox, and InDesign. No lie, after I finish a pitch deck, I scroll through it just admiring the work. Like, dang, did I just make this? LOL. Thanks, Ishii, for giving me little wins like this. Issue helps creators, marketers, designers, anyone who wants to make content that stands out. Get started with Issue today for free, or if you sign up for a premium account, you will get 50% off when you go to issue.com slash podcast and use promo code ABG. That's I-S-S-U-U dot slash podcast and use promo code ABG at checkout for your free account or 50% off your premium account. That's issue.com slash podcast with promo code A-B-G.
0: We, we also, you know, got a few questions about um, PCOS, which is something that I've been hearing more and more about. Can you explain what that is and how it affects fertility?
4: Yeah. So this is great. I just gave a lecture on this over the weekend. So to a bunch of endocrinologists. Okay. Yeah. Um, so PCOS is the most common endocrinopathy or, or diso- you know, endocrine disorder um, of reproductive age women. Okay. So it is the most common reason for having irregular cycles, not ovulating and sometimes having a hard time getting pregnant. Um, mm. Now, what's also interesting is that all the studies on PCOS um, are on tip are are not on Asians. Okay, mm. so the Asian phenotype is very different. Polycystic ovary syndrome is, you know, as it sounds, an, a, a woman who has lots of follicles in her ovaries. Um, these follicles make hormone estrogen, okay, but these follicles also make uh, testosterone, and so these women typically. Um, when they have all these hormones, their testosterone levels are high. And so the typical patient that comes used to come to us would be somebody that because high levels of, of hormones can cause metabolism. A lot of times they're overweight. Okay. And because their testosterone levels are high, a lot of times they come to us with irregular periods. They have a little bit of like peach fuzz. So they have like hair growth that they don't like, and they have acne and sometimes they have like male pattern balding.
1: Mm. So oh. the
4: textbook kind of PCOS patient, you know, was a little bit chubby, a little bit of facial hair, a little bit of acne. Um, and that doesn't, it doesn't uh, apply to Asians. For some reason, mm. uh, Asian women can have PCOS, but there's something about our skin type, maybe our hair follicles, that we don't fall into that category. So mm. I've never met an Asian woman with PCOS that has that phenotype so the textbook kind of classic um, picture that you can kind of go to a textbook and say this is a p- patient with pcos that doesn't apply to asian women okay for the most part mm-hmm. we're blessed with genetics that kind of you know makes us more normal weight although kind of there is a spectrum um, but asian women have pcos too but they're harder to diagnose they have irregular periods we do an ultrasound they have all these follicles and maybe their testosterone could be a little bit high but it doesn't show up in the same way. It's like, you know, as an Asian male, I'm envious of like guys and grow facial hair. Like this took like all of pandemic and this (laughs) is all I have, you know? So there's something about, you know, our Asian skin Mm -hmm. and and hair follicles that makes us different than the classic PCOS. Mm
1: -hmm. But we Mm -hmm. still
4: have it. Asians still have polycystic ovary syndrome. um, And it is a disorder where women don't ovulate well. So remember Mm -hmm. the top three categories of what causes infertility? Well, one of them was ovulation disorders and PCOS, the most common cause of ovulation disorders. And what's nice is it's easy to fix, all right? Yeah. So when a woman comes in and she says, I haven't had a period in five months, and um, you know whether they're Asian or not, we do an ultrasound, you know, they give us that history where they have irregular periods, their, their ovaries look like they have all these follicles. Uh, we put them on a pill called Clomid or Letrozole, and it's a very easy, low-tech, low-cost way To get her to ovulate again Mm. right and so once a woman is able to ovulate she has the same 15 to 20 percent chance of getting pregnant that any woman does
2: wow yeah I, i had not heard of that has is that pretty common for pcos to be reversible like that and um in terms of the other causes of fertility what other types of causes have you seen that are you've had a high success of reversing
4: yeah so um so if you go over just kind of the different etiologies, male factor it depends on kind of what the, what the male factor is, right? So sometimes uh, the most common cause of male factor sometimes is that these men are on kind of, you know, anabolic steroids, they're on testosterone. It's good for their libido, they, maybe their energy. Um, so we get them off of testosterone, uh, their sperm count comes up, they get pregnant very during- easily. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's reversible. Um, for ovulation disorders, for women who kind of are overweight, lifestyle changes helps, right. We make them lose even five, 10 pounds. And sometimes that even little kind of weight loss is able to get them to ovulate better, get pregnant. That's reversible. Mm-hmm. If you're underweight, you gain 10 pounds. It does the same thing. Um, other things that are reversible, um, mainly it's ovulation. Sometimes we find women with thyroid disorders, right? So we fix mm-hmm. the thyroid. So, you know, when we find, and that's why it's kind of so important to do a very thorough evaluation because it's not just, okay, you can't get pregnant. You're 38. You need IVF, right? Uh, that would be misuse of kind of, you know, medical care that we have. IVF is very expensive. Women have to go through all these shots and hormones and a procedure and as safe as it is, it's still kind of, you know, invasive. So mm-hmm. all the reversible causes of just kind of figuring out, you know, why a woman's not ovulating, why a man's sperm counts a little bit low. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a woman has, uh, has a benign growth in the uterus that will kind of go in with a camera and suck it out. And mm-hmm. That's reversed mm-hmm. now, too. So, um, so, when we look at kind of the different things, male factor can be reversible, ovulation factor, we can fix uh, depending on what the etiology, whether it's PCOS and PCOS, actually, it's not a condition that we fix. Okay. Mm. Um, it depends on what the woman wants to fix for PCOS. Sometimes in an academic setting, women will come in because they're not trying to get pregnant, they just have all this. of facial hair they don't like and they don't know why they have it and they understand oh you know you have pcos it's sometimes a genetic condition it's not your fault you know you eat well you're on a good kind of diet so it's, it's not their fault it's a genetic predisposition and for some reason their ovaries are making a lot of testosterone and um so For them, it depends on what we're trying to fix. If we're trying to fix their facial hair, we put them on birth control pills that lowers their hormone levels, gets them kind of feeling better. If we're trying to get them pregnant, we get them to ovulate. Mm. Let's see, when it comes to anatomical things or surgeries that we can do to fix things, Um, the one thing that's the only thing that's not reversible, I would say most things we can kind of find a way to fix, okay. Mm -hmm. Whether it's sperm, anatomy, ovulation, but there's one thing we can't fix and that's age. Right. That's the mm-hmm. one thing that we haven't been able to kind of curtail. We can't control the fact that as we all get older, our eggs are changing. Does that right. make sense? Okay. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, acupuncture, you know, improves blood flow. I know there was an, uh, a listener that asked, asked about acupuncture. Is it recommended for infertility? The answer is it doesn't hurt. It could help. Maybe the blood flow increases the opportunity to kind of help a woman ovulate better. Okay. But no matter if you do acupuncture every day, you're on the healthiest diet. The one thing that we can't change is mother nature and time.
0: Mm. Yeah. And, and just, just going back to where you you're saying, I mean, at what age do you see? Is there like a like almost like a cliff drop of the quality and the, and the count of eggs at a specific age? Or does it depend on each woman? Is there a range around
4: what age? Uh, there is a range and it's not a cliff drop. Okay. People right. come in at 35 and like, oh my gosh, 35, or they come in at 38 or 40. And they're like, oh my gosh, I turned 40 yesterday. And I remind them, I said, your body doesn't know when you turn 40. Okay. Your body recognizes kind of, you know, six, to months, six months of change. All right. So every six months, things will change a little bit. Okay. Um, so there's no kind of age that all of a sudden you're 40, you can't get pregnant. You're 42 and you can't get pregnant. It's, it's actually kind of a very slow change. Okay. Mm-hmm. The change gets a little bit faster as you get closer to 40. So we see mm-hmm. a kind of a, you know, on that figure when, when, you know that we might've kind of seen um, in textbook, you see fertility kind of drops down kind of when you're 20 until 35, um, the slope or the rate of decline gets a little bit faster when you're 35, faster when you're 38, faster when you're 40. And at 45, yes, that, that drop is pretty, pretty big, but we have 45 year olds that get pregnant. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, they're hard to find and it requires a lot of patience for a 45 year old pregnant. Um, so let me try then. Um, and I've and I've done this, and this is hard for me to do sometimes on a podcast. I'm able to do this kind of when I'm meeting with patients in person. Um, sometimes on a video chat and stuff like that. I'm able to kind of explain kind of age-related decline of eggs. Mm. Usually nowadays, kind of when we're doing like virtual meetings with patients and whether it's on the phone or the video. You know, I have all these handouts usually on my desk that I can I can give patients. And now with kind of telehealth, uh, I don't get to do these things. So I have to come up with a way to help women understand how the one irreversible thing that affects fertility is age and eggs. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of ways that we can count eggs. All right. So there are three tests we can do to get an idea of how young a woman's ovaries are. And this varies. There's genetics kind of about this. Okay. Okay. Um, and so when we want to assess a woman's ovarian age, I call it, because sometimes a 20 year old will have ovaries that act like a 32 year old. And sometimes mm-hmm. we get that lucky 40 year old and her ovaries act like they're 32. So every woman's a little bit different. Uh, my kind of, uh, hint at getting an idea of how young a woman's ovaries are is when her mom went through menopause, right? So mm-hmm. the average age of menopause in the United States is about 50, 51. So if your mom went through menopause at like 45, there's a chance that you could go through menopause a little bit earlier, just genetically linked. Um, if your mom went through menopause at 39, I get really nervous. Okay, because you know mm. that could mean that you're gonna go through menopause a little bit earlier too. Um, mm. So, you know, different age women have different kind of typical ovarian reserve. Um, so there are three tests we could do to try to get an idea of how young a woman's ovaries are. Okay. Mm -hmm. One is a hormone called FSH. Okay. So um, sometimes women come to our office, they're not ready to get pregnant yet. They're just like, oh, what test can I do to get an idea of kind of what my future fertility would be like? And I say, okay, well, there's three tests. There's three tests that I can do to get an idea of how young your ovaries are. And FSH is a hormone that the brain makes, tells your ovaries what to do. And when your ovaries are young and robust, your brain doesn't need to work that hard. And so your FSH is nice and low. All right, so we like low FSH blood tests. This is a blood test we encourage women to get on the second or third day of their cycle when they're not on any hormone contraception, mm-hmm. okay? Lower is better, this is FSH or follicle stimulating hormone. Any doctor can order it for you, whether it's your general doctor, your OBGYN or a fertility specialist. And so FSH on the second or third day, lower is better, we like it under 10. Mm-hmm. Another blood test, also easy to draw. This, this is a blood test that's pretty new. It's called AMH or anti-malarian hormone. Uh, and this is a blood test you can draw time in your cycle, uh, even if you're on birth control level. So it's nice. Sometimes women want to come in. They just want to get an idea of how young their ovaries are. And AMH is a hormone that comes from every little follicle that a woman has that month. So the higher, the better. Okay. Uh, we like anything over two, two for a young woman is great. Uh, and the third test that we do, and we do this in our office often, is a test called an AFC or antral follicle count. This is a quick ultrasound. It's a transvaginal ultrasound. So it allows us to look at your, look at their ovaries. So we'll look at the ovary on the one side and we're going to count all these little follicles. I joke that they kind of look like little bobas. Okay. <laughs> and the more, the better. And every sure. month a woman has a set number of follicles. Okay. We like more. So if we count 10 on each side, that's 20 follicles that a woman has. That's 20 eggs that she has for the month. Okay. Now a woman only needs one egg to get pregnant, right? So one egg is all you need but that one egg comes from many eggs. Mm. So when we do this follicle count, we're just trying to get an idea of how many eggs this woman has that month. Next month, she will have the same amount, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little less. It kind of goes up and down and up and down. As a woman gets older though, that number starts to go down, right? Because remember, mm. if you're born with all the eggs you have, as you get older, your pool of eggs will decrease. And these three numbers, FSH hormone, AMH hormone, AFC ultrasound, these three tests are very, very effective at helping women gauge how young their ovaries are, okay? Yeah. Um, but these tests are only quantitative. They tell us how many. They don't tell us how good the eggs are. So yeah. perhaps more important then would be a test that tells us how good are my eggs, but no tests exist. You can't test if a woman's eggs are good or bad, okay? Yeah. That's youth related. So I start my meetings with patients because they range in age and I say, look, most important thing is to give you some reassurance and peace of mind. And, When you're 20 years old, your chance of getting pregnant in your lifetime is really good. You're 20, you have so much time to get pregnant and you're young, you're a healthy 20 year old. So your eggs are young and healthy. So your chance of getting pregnant in your lifetime is probably 95%. Hmm. And a 20 year old with good ovulation, normal anatomy, and a partner with good sperm count has about a 95% chance she's gonna get pregnant between 20 and menopause. Well, remember there's decades to get pregnant. So of course she's gonna have a good chance of getting pregnant. When you're 30 years old, the number drops your cumulative chance of getting pregnant when you're 30 drops to about 85 to 90%, still not bad, okay? So 30 year olds, they come into my office, what are my chances of getting pregnant? I tell them, if there's nothing wrong with you, your chance of pregnancy should still be good. You don't need IVF, you don't need to freeze your egg. Just try to get pregnant when you want to. And if you start at 30, you still got a really good chance of getting pregnant. Mm
1: -hmm. When you're
4: 40, that number goes down to about 60 to 70%. Still not bad, right? Mm -hmm. That's because even a 40 year old has many, many months of achieving a pregnancy. But when you're 45, that number drops down to 13%. So that's a big drop. Okay. Oh. Yeah. It's not because she doesn't have any more eggs. She definitely has fewer eggs, but how many eggs does it take to get pregnant with? Again, just one. So maybe then it's not just about the quantity. Yes. We know that the quantity decreases, right? When you're 20 years old, every month, you have like 30 eggs every month. And it takes one egg to get pregnant. So 10 years later, when you're 30, every month, you still have plenty of eggs. Maybe it's like 15 to 20 eggs, and it takes one again. When you're 35, maybe there's like 10 to 15 eggs every month. When you're 40, maybe it's like eight to 10. When you're 45, there's only five eggs per month. Again, mm-hmm. it takes one egg to get pregnant with.
1: Mm-hmm. So
4: more important than to understanding quantity, and I, I feel like you know understanding quantity is important. There are these three tests, blood tests, blood tests, and ultrasound that helps us understand quality. More important than quantity perhaps than is quality. Okay, and to mm-hmm. understand quality, I want us all three of us to imagine today wherever we are that sitting next to us, we have this big bucket, okay? It's like a five gallon paint bucket. It's a big bucket, normally filled with paint, but not tonight. Tonight, there are two colored balls in this bucket. There are red balls and blue balls. And the red balls represent a woman's healthy eggs. And the blue balls represent a woman's unhealthy eggs.
1: Mm. And
4: every woman has a mix of red balls and blue balls. Does that make sense? Mm. Now, when you're 20 years old, remember there's 30 balls in the bucket. So every month you got 30 balls, your bucket is full. There's like balls falling out of the bucket. There's so many, does that make sense? but even a 20 year old has a mix of red balls and blue balls. And if you peek inside of the bucket of a 20 year old, you'd find out that maybe half are red and half are blue. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if I mix these Mm -hmm. up and I blindfold a 20 year old, and I say, okay, reach into this bucket, you get to pick out one ball every month. She might pick out blue, blue, blue before she gets a red. But sooner Mm -hmm. or later, 95% of the time, she's going to get a red ball at some point in her lifetime. Does that make sense for a 20 year old to get pregnant, right?
0: Right, right.
4: But as you get older ladies, the the bucket goes it goes down does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah. so by the time you're 45 this bucket only has five balls in the bucket okay all right you only need one there's only five balls but if you peek in the bucket of a 45 year old they're all blue next month new bucket you get it to pick another ball you get another chance to find a red ball but they're all blue month after month after month they're all blue all blue all blue so it's really hard to find that red ball when you're 45. i remember i said once a year we get lucky once a year we get one lucky 45 year old inevitably this lucky 45 year old has that one red ball. She doesn't even know it, but there's a red ball there. Um, mm-hmm. the only red ball she's gonna have for like two years. And she reaches in randomly, grabs it. She's not even trying to get pregnant. Sperm's there, she gets pregnant. Even a 45 year old can have a healthy baby. Okay, that's that red ball we're all looking for. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
4: So understand that as women get older, okay, it's not just the bucket of balls that are changing and getting lower and lower. It's also the colors that are changing. And unfortunately there's no test for colors. It's just age related. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's why when we do meet with young 35-year-olds who are starting their kind of uh, surgical fellowship or, you know, starting their legal careers or starting kind of, you know, or, you know into whatever career. Sometimes they're not ready to get, get pregnant yet. And they're so they're not ready to start their family. They they definitely prioritize family and it's really important to them. And so sometimes if they're not ready, we're like, let's get your bucket, let's pour it on the table and let's save those.
1: Mm-hmm. Every mm-hmm.
4: month, if you have 20 balls in your bucket, I can get 20 eggs in the freezer. Okay.
1: Mm.
4: Now the problem is when we freeze eggs and I take the bucket and I pour it out, don't worry. You're not going to run out of eggs because the next month we're going to get a new bucket. Does that make sense? You're still going to go through menopause at, at 51 or 49, whenever genetics was going to you know, stop having periods, it'll still be the same. So getting your eggs out isn't going to make you run out of eggs earlier. It's not going to make you have a hard time getting pregnant when you want to get pregnant. But when we get eggs and we pour it on the table, I get to count them. I get to look under the microscope, or my embryologists do. They look under the microscope, two, four, eight, 10, 15. Great. Oh, sweet. This woman got 15 eggs. Awesome. But when the woman asks me, how many are red? I'm going to be like, "Uh, I don't know. Because Mm -hmm. when we look at eggs under the microscope, we're colorblind. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? We can't discriminate between a good egg and a bad egg. We know Mm -hmm. that when you're Mm -hmm. 35, it might be like one out of five, one out of six are good. When you're 38, it's like one out of eight, one out of nine. Maybe when you're 40, it might be one out of 10 or 12. So, as you get older, I need more balls to find a red. When we freeze eggs, I don't know which red or blue. So a lot of times, women freeze eggs, and I, we, you know, we, we're I'm very clear to tell them, bucket out, lots of eggs, colorblind, don't know which ones red or blue, right, right. you know. But we can estimate 35 year old eggs are going to be better than 38 year old eggs. It's not a guarantee. All we're trying to do is keep the 35 year olds bucket as it is and not let it change colors. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Right. We will be able to find out which one's red or blue. Okay. And we can, and we can do it today. And we've been doing it for about 10 years, but only when we take eggs and put it with sperm. When mm. we take eggs and we put it with sperm, if we start with 15, okay. When you thaw them, it's not a perfect thaw. You get about 80 to 90% survival. So for every 10 eggs we thaw, and hopefully we're freezing 15 to 20, just have a little buffer. But if for every, just use uh, 15, it's an easier number. If we start with 15 eggs, when we thaw them, you might get an 80 to 90% survival. So you might lose one or two. In the old mm-hmm. days, survival was 10%. So you thawed oh, wow. 15, you get two that survived. Does that make sense? Now mm-hmm. we get 13 that survive a thaw. Still don't know which one's red or blue, but now we're ready to put it with sperm. So we'll take these 13 eggs, we're gonna put it with sperm, and then we're gonna get two out of three that fertilize. Okay. 13's down to nine. Does that make sense? And that's because mm-hmm. four of them were blue. You didn't want those anyways. Does that make sense? Okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we got one of those four, 13 down to nine. I still don't know which one's red or blue. So we watch them grow and divide. It takes five days, but these eggs that are fertilized will go from two cells to four, four to eight, 16, 32, 64, about a hundred cells over the course of five days. At the end of those five days, we're down to our six best embryos. Remember we started with 15, we got down to 12, we got down to nine and now we're down to these best five or six and these are the best five or six. And hopefully among these best five or six, there's gonna be a red ball here, but I still mm-hmm. don't know. Okay. We grade them, A, really pretty, A, B, A, B, C. But the grading is only a beauty contest. It tells us which ones look good. And this is how we did it for 30, 40 years. Mm. For 30, 40 years, we got eggs, we put it with sperm. And when we did IVF, we got these pretty embryos, but we still didn't know which one was red or blue. So we used to put in two at a time, sometimes. Mm. And so for some, and some overzealous doctors would put in like five or six, that's how Octomom happened, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. But we don't do that, right? So. Here we know based on age, we kind of gauge, okay, if you're 35, one out of two should be good. So we're going to put in two. Does that make sense? Hoping that when we put in two, one's red, one's blue and you get pregnant with one, sometimes Mm -hmm. both are red. This is why in the old days were a lot of twins Mm -hmm. and sometimes both are blue and you didn't get pregnant. So we put in the next two or the next two until you got pregnant today. We can do better today. If we want to, uh, we can do what we call pre-implantation genetic testing. We can use a needle and very carefully, go into each of these embryos and suck out a few cells. These cells get sent to a genetics lab. And about a week later, I get confirmation that out of the six embryos that we have, the prettiest embryo has Down syndrome. The second prettiest is a healthy boy, healthy girl, Kerners, Kleinfelters, another healthy boy. Aha, blindfold off. Now we know which one's red or blue. And nowadays, when we're trying to achieve pregnancies for as a last line of defense, if we have to do IVF, we can add genetic testing or chromosomal testing is more accurate. And we just take one red ball and put one at a time. And the red ball from a 38 year old is the same as a red ball from a 20 year old. Red is red, right? Mm-hmm. Healthy is healthy. Okay. If I know there's no down syndrome, Turner syndrome or Klein filters, we can give even an older woman mm-hmm. about a 65 to 70% chance of getting pregnant. Okay, so we can get great odds when we know it's red, but still not 100% for things that we cannot test. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. That's the important, sorry, it's very long-winded, but it's trying to help our audience and listeners understand that with aging, Comes uh-huh. becomes a decrease in the number of balls in the bucket,
1: uh-huh. but
4: it's also changing the quality of the eggs that remain. So it's really gets harder and harder as we get older to find the healthy egg that's going to result in a healthy pregnancy.
0: Wow, that was incredibly helpful to visualize. Mm -hmm. I'm someone that needs to learn with visuals. So taking it down to layman's terms, like a bucket and red and blue balls, I'm like, thank you for doing that for for all of us. Um, I I guess one more question I had to follow up on that is that what is the longest period of time that a couple has been searching for their red egg if they keep
4: getting blue ones? Mm. So it's age dependent, right? So, Mm. So Helen, it's a good question. And it's age dependent. It depends on like if you're 20 years old, after, you know, you should find that red ball within six, 12 months. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. really unlucky if you're picking blue, 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 right? Um, for a 45-year-old, they can take two years. And even then, it's still hard to find a red ball. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah. So it's, so it's really kind of age-dependent. Um, so typically, when you're under 35, we give you 12 months to find that red ball on your own. Okay, all right we'll make sure sperm is good, ovulation's good, uterus and tubes are good, and then we give you 12 months, okay? And if you're not pregnant in 12 months, then we call you infertility. Mm,
1: mm -hmm. Uh,
4: When you're over 35, because you're older, we kind of shorten the window because we don't want you to try for too long. We wanna try to kind of do more stuff if you're not getting pregnant. So when you're over 35, uh, we kind of give you a six month window to get pregnant and find that red ball on your own. And if you don't find that red ball on your own, um, then we call you infertility. And then we start to get more aggressive. And what can we do? I talked about IVF and yes, we can take the bucket and pour it on the table. That's not our only option. Then, And this is uh, for anybody who might have a question about unexplained infertility.
1: Mm-hmm. This
4: is unexplained infertility explained. It's about finding the red ball. Okay. Mm. All right. So when we can explain infertility by saying it's a sperm problem or you're not ovulating well or your tubes are blocked or there's something in the uterus, right? That's explainable. That's reversible. We can fix that. But when everything is normal for a couple in 12 months, uh, 18 months, they're not pregnant. This is, and we've done all the tests, okay? Unexplained infertility to me is a little bit of bad luck and a little bit of egg quality. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense, Mm
1: -hmm. okay?
4: So what can we do to improve luck? All right, well, we talked about taking the bucket and pouring it on the table, right? That's IVF, but that's aggressive. That's a lot of hormones. That's Mm -hmm. five weeks of treatment. Um, It's costly and sometimes some couples you know, don't have the luxury to have insurance coverage or be able to afford it. So, you know, there are a lot of barriers and and we're embarrassed about it, but, you know, some states have great coverage, New York, New Jersey, Florida, uh, Nevada, and California is a little bit behind, Mm -hmm. right? So we look forward to a day where yes, a woman's right to, you know, fertility care should be covered by all, but hopefully someday soon access to fertility care will be kind of universal. Okay. Mm -hmm. But until then, there are kind of barriers to kind of certain treatments that we uh, are able to, to offer. So before IVF,
1: mm-hmm.
4: uh, if you've been trying to pick a ball every month for 12 months and you haven't found the red ball, we can put you on a pill. This is a pill called Clomid or Letrozole. It's very common. It's not expensive. It costs about $20. Okay. And it helps a woman pick out two balls. Now we're still blindfolded. She can't peek mm-hmm. that one, that one, and that one, but you get to pick out two balls and we can increase your chance of finding a red ball. Sometimes you pick out two reds. And so the chance of twins does go up a little bit. So we don't want to just put anybody on clomid if they don't need it. Mm -hmm. But If we want to increase the chance of getting pregnant and finding the healthy egg, then we can put a a woman on clomid. It's pretty easy. We might try that Mm -hmm. for three or four months. Hopefully she picks out two balls, two balls and and, and is able to get that one red ball. Uh, If that doesn't work, we can use injection medications. Okay. Now costs go up a lot because these are highly purified hormones. And this is the hormone that I said, maybe for some reason, Asian women don't respond as well to it. Okay. There's, yeah. so, there's yeah. some studies in the past that, that think that, you know, maybe these medications or not the medications themselves, but women's receptors on their ovaries, they don't respond as well to these hormones. And these injections are to help a woman um, super ovulate. So now you pick out not one or two, we can actually help you pick out three or four.
1: Not mm-hmm. IVF. Mm-hmm. idea.
4: This is maybe where we add insemination. All right so this is a little bit of a shotgun approach so we help a woman push out more eggs and we put more sperm where it needs to be that's doing insemination okay Mm. still relatively low tech low cost these injections may cost about a thousand dollars a month compared to the 20 dollars for the pill um it's stronger medications we can get more eggs to be released and we have to be careful because sometimes we push out too many eggs and then you get pregnant with more than twins this is kate and john plus eight Mm
1: -hmm.
4: you guys remember that so so the Gosling yeah. family, um, they had problems. They weren't ovulating, and so as a result, they were on these injections. And as a result, of the injections. This is a woman who pushed out too many eggs, and mm. by chance, six of them, you know, uh, were red balls. Right? They didn't mm-hmm. know because you can't tell which ones red or blue. So they took a chance. They they pushed out a lot of eggs, and six of them happened to be red. And this is why they were um, sex tuplets. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Be careful when we do shots. See, with IVF we have control. We can put back one right? If we don't test the embryos and we don't know which one's mm-hmm. better blue, we can put back two or three, depending on age. Mm-hmm. But when we're doing injections with insemination, the blindfold is on, we don't know which, which ball you're picking out. And so that's why we have to be very careful not to push out too many and risk yeah. two or quadruplets.
0: Was, um, was, was Octomom and um, Kate plus eight, were, were they all through IVF or n- not natural, right? That can't happen naturally, can it?
4: Naturally, you're only picking out one ball. That's right. Okay. So maybe that one ball can split once. Maybe it can split twice to become triplets. Does that make sense? That's identical yeah. triplets. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a one percent chance for it to split once to become identical twins, and it's probably a one in you know three thousand chance of it splitting twice to become triplets. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: Wow. Yeah. Um, Octomom was uh, a doctor that unfortunately put in too many embryos, and eight of them. I think six of them took, and then two of them split. So there was a set of identical twins, and then there were other embryos that were red balls.
3: Oh, I see. Dr. Wong, I had a question. So I think you walked through the different, like, um, different, like, fertility treatment options that, you know, a patient can go through. And you mentioned, like, the pill, um, like, the the one, the pill they can take, that's $20. I'm curious about two things, like, one, what is the average, like, just for our listeners? What is like roughly what is the average cost for an IVF or the or the egg freezing procedure? And do you know if it, um, I know you mentioned some of the company corporate companies do the insurance does cover the expenses? But just so I know, does insurance actually cover the whole expenses of the procedure?
4: It can, believe it or not, it can. And I would say that you know for our for the patients that we take care of, I would say that you know uh, a good portion. 30 or 40% actually have insurance coverage, you know? Oh,
1: okay.
4: Yeah, so it's not a small amount and it's getting more and more, okay? So Mm. again, a lot of companies are starting to recognize good young talent, kind of, to keep good young Mm. talent, you gotta be competitive and offer them things that will keep them there. So, you know, egg freezing is kind of a benefit that we're seeing more and more of. Um, Mm -hmm. Without coverage, okay? Uh, An IVF cycle, you know, the hormones, the surgery, the monitoring, you know, all the blood tests and the ultrasounds probably adds up to about 20 K. Okay. Right. So it's not, that's why I'm saying, I'm saying it's, it's, it's not, it's not easy. Mm. So it's not always about just IVF, right? Because I'd rather spend 20 bucks getting, uh, helping a woman get pregnant who has a simple ovulation disorder, uh, than than $20,000 and then her have her have all these embryos that she's not going to use in the freezer,
1: Mm. um,
4: freezing eggs. Um, uh, is a little bit less because we're not doing the poking of the embryo to test the embryo, right? So that part is deferred until later, presumably. Mm-hmm. So freezing eggs might be like ten to fifteen k. Mm, okay. Medications, monitoring, all that included. Um, at our center, we we you know that cost includes kind of keeping the eggs frozen for five years, which it doesn't matter if you freeze them for one year, two years, or five years. It doesn't change in quality. Studies are mm-hmm. showing. That that the babies born from frozen eggs are just as good as fresh eggs. So, uh, so that's mm. very reassuring. Um,
3: yeah. Um, I think you mentioned for the, I, I just want to make sure I clarify this. You know, you mentioned the, the pill, the pill that's $20. Because someone asked, you know, is there more affordable options for freezing your eggs? The pill that you mentioned, that's not for freezing your eggs or is, is that also part of the freezing egg procedure?
4: It's a really good question. Um, so Melody, uh, it depends
3: mm-hmm.
4: on what's in the bucket. Does that make sense? Oh,
3: I see. Okay. So when
4: the bucket has all these balls in the bucket, we're going to spend $5,000 on medications so that we can optimize and get 15 eggs out. Mm. Some 38 year olds, some 32 year olds for some genetic reason, or maybe they had chemotherapy and it really compromised the number of balls in the bucket. Okay. They only have like three or four. Does that make sense? Mm. Okay. And they're 28. All right. So they had chemo, they had leukemia when they were a kid, they got chemo. And so as a result, took a big hit on the ovaries, they come in at 28. They're like, I had chemo. And that's why, oh, maybe that's why we only see four. Yeah. I'd rather have four eggs, by the way, from a 28 year old, Mm -hmm. than 15 eggs from a 45 year old, because remember in that 28 year old's bucket, she's going to have a higher chance, even though there's fewer, she's younger. Mm -hmm. So the chance of me finding a red ball from a 28 year old, even with four is going to be higher than 15 eggs from a 45 year old. Okay. Mm -hmm. But in that circumstance where a woman's bucket only has two, three, or four, we don't need to use $5,000 of injections to get her to make 15. There's nothing mm-hmm. I can do to get her to make 15. So instead, we can use less medications, we'll get less eggs. I can only get what's in the bucket for a month. And mm-hmm. that's per month. So for this 28-year-old who might only have four because of chemo that kind of affected her ovarian reserve, I might have to do this four times. Get four one month, get four another month, get four another month, and then get another four. Now we have our 15, 16, so we're in a good place. But she's got to do it four times and I got to make sure it's, you know, it's doable from a cost perspective. So right. no circumstances, we're not using all these hormones that are very expensive because if you only have four, there are easier things I can do. Sometimes I'll just use that pill, that, Clomid, that costs 20 bucks, right? I'll probably add a shot to it, not a lot, but just one shot um, per day for eight to 12 days. That's how long it takes from beginning to end of shots um, to okay. get the follicles to kind of mature and get us to a kind of a size where we can get healthy eggs from.
3: No, so thank you for walking through the different like ways and processes for like uh, the different like egg freezing procedures, especially like even like the I know a lot of people are concerned about the cost. So thank you for going over that. I have one last question. Um, you mentioned this earlier in the podcast episode, but how do you approach, you know, um, LGBTQ plus couples um, with infertility questions? And, you know, how do you guide them through their their process with, um, I guess, uh, IVF or egg freezing?
4: Yeah. Um, so they're no different than. Kind of in any of our other patients, um, mm-hmm. for them, really, it's not an infertility question, right? So for a lot of these patients that we're taking care of, uh, it's a matter of getting sperm and egg to meet.
1: Mm-hmm. All
4: right? So for a lot of same sex couples, it's just about either getting donor sperm to put in at the right time so that they can get pregnant mm-hmm. again, very naturally doesn't just because they're LGBT doesn't mean that they need, uh, IVF. Right. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, you know, a couple comes in and they just want to start their family. I'm like, great. Okay. Let me uh, introduce you to a couple of great sperm banks. Okay. Um, For, you know, male, male couples, I go over, uh, it's a little bit more complicated because I need egg and I need a uterus. Does that make sense? Okay. Mm -hmm. In those circumstances, I introduce them to um, agencies that um, where, where they can get donated eggs. And then we help them with a gestational carrier so that once they create the embryos and and find a red ball, we can put it into a Mm. circuit to achieve achieve a pregnancy. So yeah, there are many different ways these days to get family started. And so we work with any couple, um, you know, to make the right match of sperm and eggs and putting it into a healthy uterus.
0: We are about to enter the holiday season, and as much as I love the holidays, it really is my favorite time of the year. It can also be a very stressful time filled with lots of social events, family obligations, and cramming in all of those last minute things you hope to get done before the year ends. I've been looking for some moments of calm and zen, and I've been loving my ginger essential oil. That's ginger with two J's, a new high quality, all natural essential oil. I just put a few drops into my palm with a specially designed dropper cap that ensures the perfect amount every time. This is a small detail I appreciate because so many essential oils come with droppers that release a little too much. Rub the oil between my hands quickly, then put my hands to my nose and take a deep breath in. An immediate hit of zen. Also, for anyone out there who is pregnant and struggling with that awful first trimester nausea, this ginger oil has been a lifesaver. Many essential oils require the use of a proper carrier oil to mix before use, but ginger is ready to use right out of the bottle. Mixed with jojoba and primrose carrier oils, it's safe to apply directly on skin. Trust me, you need to give ginger oil a try. We have a deal for ABG listeners for 20% off with your first purchase. Go to jinjer.us slash abg. Don't wait. That's ginger with two J's dot U S slash A B G. Thank you for answering all of our questions here. Um, We're going to dive a little bit deeper. I know we've already been talking about it, but more into the whole IVF and egg freezing process. And it's good to hear that there are so many different options out there. And I think the first thing that, you know, a couple should do is just go into, you know, either your office or or just... another office and understand what it is that their specific body is going through. Cause maybe you don't have to spend so much money, you know, on IVF egg, egg freezing. It could just be a pill. It could be, there are many options out there, but you gotta figure out what is right for your body. Um, I did wanna ask you a little bit about just like the history of these procedures, because personally for me, the first time that I heard about IVF and egg freezing was in 2015 or 2016 when one of my managers was, being extremely emotional her hormones were all over the place and she had pulled me aside and explained to me that it's because she was getting hormonal injections for her IVF treatment but the thing is that I had never heard about any of this in any of my health classes I'm curious you know was this technology only recently popularized or the procedure solidified for more and more people to start talking about it now
4: well the first IVF baby was born more than 40 years ago okay Mm. so you know, it's been, you know, we celebrated kind of when she was 40 and you know, how the technology to help families get started has been available for many decades now. But Remember that hormone that I told you the brain makes to tell your ovary what to do, right? Mm -hmm. That's called FSH, follicle stimulating hormone. And so when we first did it, we used to purify it from menopausal women, they got it from nuns, right? So nuns would pee, they would collect the pee, they would purify it because there would be all this FSH, because remember when you're menopausal, your FSH, the brain makes more and more FSH, so it'll purify that FSH. And so we still actually use um, highly purified FSH to use to inject to help women's uh, ovaries respond, right? So the same hormone that a woman's brain is making to get her ovary to do its job, that's what we've been using to help stimulate ovaries.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
4: um, and you know, every year the hormones get cleaner, the side effect profile gets less and less, but it's still the same concept. And the only way to administer it because it's kind of highly purified or they come in recombinant forms where it's man-made now too. So, you know, in the last couple of decades we've been able to kind of, you know, engineer it. So, and this Mm -hmm. is where maybe like the Asian receptors just aren't as good. And so it was engineered for non-Asians. And so Asians still respond great. And there are some Asians that respond too well. And I'm like, oof, we got to back off. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So it's not to say that Asians can't respond to the same medications. In fact, they do, and they do quite well. Um, But these are uh, hormones. Mm that um, we've been using now for quite a while, starting as purified, there are a lot of reactions. And when they're purified, you know, you used to get like welts and rashes and stuff like that. Mm. You used to have to use big needles to kind of get it into the muscle. As they become more and more purified, the reactions are less and less. It's a cleaner and cleaner hormone. So now we can use little needles, kind of how diabetics give themselves insulin, and we can do it that way. So Mm -hmm. these days, um, you know, it's pretty easy to self-administer. but again, we've been using it for a while and the safety of them you know, is very good. Of course, when you, instead of making one follicle every month, a woman is now making 10 or 12 or how many balls might be in the bucket. Every follicle makes a hormone. So when you have multiple follicles, your hormones are level where levels are very high. And so this is why perhaps kind of in 2015, when you notice that, wow, she's a little bit more moody. It's just the hormone levels are higher. Um, mm. She's really bloated and uncomfortable. She has to do these daily injections. so. You know, it could be stressful, it could be irritating, but for the most part these days, yeah, they're you know, pretty well received. The side effects uh, predominantly are gonna be bloating and sometimes a dull headache.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Okay, but they're, they're getting better and better and, and easier and easier to administer.
2: It's great that the technology's been around for 40 years, but we can see that it's um, evolved a lot. What do you think was like the biggest kind of trigger change that caused it to become more widely accessible?
4: Yeah, technology keeps changing. It what's that's what makes our field so exciting and interesting. Probably the things that uh, have made it more available is that we get as we get better, as um, costs go down. So you know it's, it's you know as expensive as it is, um, you know people are trying to cover it. The cost of doing it is going to decrease. It'll continue to decrease, and so it makes it more affordable and accessible to to more people. Um, obviously. Uh, technology isn't cheap, all right, research and development isn't cheap. And so, you know, drug companies will probably invest a lot of time and energy kind of coming up with newer medications to get better response. And so, you know, cost of medications will probably still be kind of one of the, you know, deterring things. Um, You know, it still requires surgery and anesthesia to to get those Mm -hmm. things out. It's a surgical procedure. So, you know, costs are still up there. Um, But the evolution, I think that, you know, just word of mouth and you know, like, uh, Helen said, you know, she knew kind of a, a manager or a colleague that went through it and, you know, more and more people are going through it as more and more people go through it, you know, they talk about it and now it's becoming less black box or taboo. Mm-hmm. So people are very really open, um, as a result of that openness, uh, you know, people don't feel bad talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that public awareness, right. That, you know, that this effort, what we're doing today, right? That this conversation and this, you know, this podcast is hoping, what I'm hoping is that people will be more public and say, oh my gosh, like, you know, I went through it too and I had a hard time getting pregnant, but I was able to have success. I think it's just public awareness and that's kind yeah. of, you know, my job and your job, you know, and and for all of us to kind of, you know, remove the stigma of infertility, right? Right. Mm-hmm. right especially coming from Asian culture. Right. So, you know, in our Asian culture, it's like all about like, you know, um, getting married, finding that partner and starting your family. So, you know, when you don't, and you're not able to, to get pregnant, that can be, especially in the Asian culture. Right. So, you know, that can be Mm -hmm. kind of very taboo. And for us to kind of talk about this today, right. In a kind of, you know, forum where hopefully there's a lot of Mm -hmm. Asian Mm -hmm. kind of listeners and audience that, you know, you're not alone. Okay. Right, right. One in seven women are going through it one in seven, you know, so that's not uncommon, but I think it's just that public awareness. And as we do our job and kind of getting it out, it's going to be easier to talk about easier to kind of treat because then people aren't waiting five years and now they're 40 and they're like, Oh my gosh, you know, why did you, why are you here now? where were you? Four right, years right. ago? Right. So if we can catch women and couples at a younger stage, when there are more red balls in the bucket, we'll have a better chance.
2: Yeah, that's uh, actually a perfect segue. <laughs> it leads to my question, which is a bit personally motivated, but I'm sure a lot of our listeners will share my perspective for this question. Um, so I just I just turned 36, and um, I would like to have a family someday, but I'm not necessarily you know close to being able to conceive anytime in the next like year or so. Um, so I'm kind of wanting to learn, you know, I've, I've already learned so much just from what you've shared about egg freezing, but focusing on egg freezing specifically, in what scenarios does it make sense for a woman to consider freezing her eggs? Who's a good candidate? Um, is there an ideal age range?
4: Yeah. So great question. Uh, congratulations on 36, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, you're that you're that good candidate. right? So you're a candidate who at, at still being young at 36. OK. Um you know, you would come into the office at some point, we would do an ultrasound, count how many balls are in your bucket, right? Remember, that's going to be pretty constant, go up and down and up and down. So, you know, for 36, I would say that you coming in and seeing 10 to 15 follicles, okay, would be good. Because when you're 36, maybe one out of six are good. So if we can get 15 eggs in the freezer, we've got a good shot that there's a couple red balls when you need it, okay? It also depends on family size. If you're like, you know what, uh, Andy, I want to have like four kids, I'll be like, okay, we might need 30. 30 eggs. Does that make sense? And if you're in an early relationship, we're going to freeze the eggs. If you're in a very stable kind of relationship where you're like, look, I have a great partner. We're just not ready to start our family yet. Then we don't need to freeze a bunch of eggs. We'll take eggs, put it with sperm, create the embryos. And I'd rather freeze embryos that I can test if it's red or blue and have the peace of mind of knowing what we have in the freezer. So family size is important too. All right. So if you tell me, look, I just want to have one kid and I want to have that kid in the next year or two. don't need to freeze your eggs because if your ovaries look good and you're still young like you are my hope is that you're going to get pregnant when you want to and again if it's just trying to find one red ball in the next year or two you're okay now every woman's going to have kind of different kind of risk assessment right so some women like i tell them look you're 31 years old if we get 15 eggs in the freezer you're good okay for two kids and they're like "Uh, i i'm too nervous I, i want more okay and we'll do it twice. We'll get 15 eggs and 15 eggs. And now you got 30. I'm like, look, you're good. And there mm-hmm. are some, most women will be like, yeah, I think I'm good. Okay. But there are some women that just, you know, want to collect more kind of their threshold, their insurance policy, if you will, for their future fertility. They want it to be as broad as possible.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
4: But even a 45 year old who comes in and every now and then we get this lucky 45 year old We count their follicles. It's like amazing. They have like 30 eggs, 30 follicles, uh, but they're 45. And I warned them. I said, look, this is pretty amazing that you're 45. And I say, look, if you want to, we can freeze your eggs, but it's, it's hard to know kind of, you know, when you're 45, it might be like one in 50, one in 80 eggs are good. So, you know, when you're 45, even with a good reserve, it's unpredictable about freezing eggs. Okay. So the typical candidate, okay, is a woman who is younger, right? Uh, not too young either, right? So. Sometimes a woman comes in and they're like 25 and I do their follicle count. They have like 30 follicles. I'm like, you're good. Okay. Come back next year. All right. Come back in two years. All right. We'll keep assessing. You can just come in. Think of kind of your follicle count and your and your FSH and, and AMH levels as your annual pap smear for ovarian reserve. Does that make sense? And so for young women, we don't want to freeze eggs and not not have a ability to use them, right? We don't want those resources to kind of, you know, it's expensive. You have to go through a surgery and although the risks are very minimal, it's still a risk of a surgery. And so if somebody comes in and they're like 22 and their ovarian reserve is great, I sometimes will tell them, you know, you're fine. Come back in a couple of years and we'll reassess. And if at that point, because you never know when you're 25, you might meet that partner a couple of years later you've just got, just gone through all this hormones and everything. So too young, isn't good. Too old, isn't good either. Mm-hmm. Kind of the sweet spot. It used to be like 38. Usually yeah, I think that 38 year olds used to all come in and you know, they, they talk to each other. They're 30. It's like, okay, it's my birthday. I'm going to freeze my, <laughs> okay.
2: It's a birthday gift to themselves at 38. Yeah, <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah.
4: But I think that at people, you know, their awareness is getting out.
2: Yeah.
4: Right. The kind bodies in the world, you know, that specialize in kind of, you know, uh, egg freezing and stuff. Uh, there's, there's a lot of kind of uh, public awareness kind of movements and stuff like that. Social media has made it mm-hmm. kind of, you know, more recognizable that people are freezing eggs. So I think that that 38 is now like 35, 34, and the reality right. is that the younger the better, right? But it's a balancing act, right? So right. we don't want to just freeze eggs on somebody who will never need them, right? Okay, so you know, so I think that for me, kind of the perfect candidate would be somebody who's like between 30 and 38, um, and of course, you know, somebody's gonna come in at 39. They're like, I heard your podcast. I'm 39. Okay, <laughs> does that mean I'm not a good candidate? And the answer is. A 39-year-old's eggs are still going to be better than her eggs when she's 40, right? Right, right. So the reality is that everybody's going to have kind of a different um, threshold. Different in what they feel comfortable. Yeah, ex- absolutely. Maybe, and we've had patients that come in and they're 40 or 42. And I'm like, look, like we can freeze a lot of eggs and I'm not going to know kind of, uh, you know, what the quality is like. And they're like, but Netflix covers it. Okay, all right. So then there's right, right, the, you right. know, cost benefit, right? Right, so, right. You know, as, you know, more companies and insurances might start to cover it, then it might be more valuable to kind of freeze eggs. Just go not as yeah, yeah, exactly. So.
2: But speaking of that scenario, are there potential side effects, though, about going through that process? Because you are putting hormones into your body, correct?
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a daily hormone. You got to do it every 24 hours.
2: Mm-hmm. The
4: reason why you have to do it every 24 hours for eight to 12 nights is because it only lasts for that long, which means it clears your body pretty quickly also. So that means that yes, you do it for eight to 12 days. And at the end of eight to 12 days, we get the eggs out and it clears the, your, your, your body really quickly. So there are no long-term associated risks to being on the hormones and breast cancer or ovarian cancer or anything, you know, long-term that we know of to date. And remember, we've been doing this for 40 plus years. So, um, you know, safety profile long-term is probably really good because these are very short acting hormones. Um, so. Yeah. So there are still risks. All right. I counsel every woman uh, that's going through it. Okay. We're going to go through it. It's going to take five weeks. And uh, here I'm going to use the analogy of uh, running uh, a race. Okay. And so this is a hundred meter dash. All right. So uh, and normally a woman only gets one runner across the finish line. That's the one ball that you get to pick out or one egg you ovulate every month. Okay. Mm -hmm. But if a woman has 15, I don't want to just freeze one egg 15 times. I'd rather just freeze fifteen eggs one time. Does that make sense? Mm. So in order to get the fifteen eggs across the finish line together, it takes five weeks. Okay, and so we start by when a woman's period starts, she usually comes in. This is there's different recipes and, and protocols for this, so I'm giving you kind of what we use eighty percent of the time. Okay, and then we we individualize it. Sometimes women have more follicles, fewer follicles. So, but generally it's a five week timeline. So, they call when their period starts. We're here seven days a week all most fertility centers are, you know, seven days a week. So if a period starts on a Friday, we see them on Saturday or Sunday. Um, they come in, we do an ultrasound, we make sure there are plenty of follicles, that it's a good month, that there are plenty of balls in the bucket, okay? Because some months are higher and some months are lower. And so if a woman always has, typically has 12 or 13 and she comes in and there's eight or nine, I'll be like, see you next month. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. We until have more runners in the race. Does that make sense, okay? Mm-hmm. On a month that it looks good and, you know, there's 10 plus follicles typically, then we'll start a woman on birth control pills for two weeks. And so that's the first two weeks of treatment, pretty easy birth control pills, minimal side effects, two weeks of treatment, mm. a pill, not a shot. It's just a pill. And the goal of birth control pills is to get all the runners behind the starting line. has to be fair. Can't let one runner across first. So these mm. birth controls to get everybody behind the starting line first. And at the end of two weeks, we'll check to make sure all the follicles are synchronized, small and ready to go. If they are, I'll stop the birth control pills. A period will start and we'll see them five days later. So that's two weeks of pills, five days off. At the end of those five days, we see her again, make sure all the follicles are nice and ready. All again, behind the starting line, make sure we have plenty because at any point, if we're not happy with what we're seeing, we'll always reset, okay? We want to do this mm. ideally once, maybe twice and be done and get all the eggs we want in the freezer uh, or create the embryos to find the red ball to achieve the pregnancy. So the first three weeks are pretty easy. They only need to be seen three times. So it sounds like a lot, but it's three visits in three weeks, period starting, two weeks of birth control pills, five days off of pills. On this third visit if everything looks good and all the follicles are behind the starting line, the race begins. Okay. Now we start these little shots. Okay. They come in fancy little pens, the needles, tiny, uh, it's just a shot under the skin around the belly button. Okay. So you barely feel it's a needle prick. And that's for eight to 12 days, Mm -hmm. Every night, two shots. Okay. For eight to 12 nights. Now in these eight to 12 days, we got to see this woman pretty frequently because we're watching kind of the runners take off and and try to grow and, and run together. Right. So Every two to three days are coming in. We're doing a transvaginal ultrasound to watch the follicles get a little bit bigger. Occasionally we're doing a blood test to watch the hormone levels rise. Uh, at the end of eight to 12 days when she's feeling the most bloated, all right? We say, okay, you're ready. Your follicles are nice and mature. We give them a trigger shot. And then two days later we get the eggs out. Mm. All right, so that's the five weeks. Two weeks of pills, five days off, eight to 12 days of shots. At the conclusion of the shots, then they go under anesthesia for a 10 minute procedure. Okay, it's quick. Uh, and while uh, the woman's asleep, uh, we do the same ultrasound, but a little needle is gonna go into those follicles that are like probably grape size by then, okay? Hopefully seven on each side. So you're, they're gonna feel a little bloated. And then uh, in the 10 minutes, we, uh, under anesthesia, IV sedation, so it's pretty quick and easy. Uh, we use a needle, we go into the follicles, we drain the fluid, we get the eggs, we look under the microscope we say, oh, we got this one, we got this one. Um, and then a few minutes later, they're waking up, they're feeling a little bit sore, Risk of the procedure is very minimal because there's no cutting involved, right? Mm. There's a little needle that goes into the follicles. But risks include discomfort when they wake up a little bit sore, small risk of bleeding, less than 1%, and also mm. a small risk of infection. And those are kind of the common risks associated with the with the procedure at the conclusion of the five weeks.
3: Wow. Thanks for simplifying the process for us. This is, uh, I never knew about this. So this is the egg freezing process, is that correct?
4: It's it's the IVF process whether we're freezing oh. eggs or creating embryos, mm. right? So, mm. or somebody who wants to freeze the eggs, same five weeks. If a couple is trying to get pregnant, we don't stop at the eggs. We put it with sperm, create the embryos, and then five days mm. later, we either assess which one's the prettiest, or we can test them if we want to. Okay. And that's that needle going in and sucking out a few cells to find mm. out take the blindfold off, red or blue.
3: Got it. And I think you mentioned this previously, Dr. Huang, but what is the success rate that you experience with these treatments? Like is it, does it also, again, depend on the age and then the, the, the red and blue balls? Is that correct?
4: So we can normalize it by finding out which one's red or blue. So in the mm. old days, we didn't know which one's red or blue. And so if you ask me success rate, it was based on age. Mm. So in the old days, when you were under 35, success rates were good you're under 35, red ball's there. It's a matter of when you find it. Success rates could be 50 to 60% every time you put in one or two embryos. When you were 38, it dropped a little bit. Maybe it was like 40%. When mm. you're 40, it's like 25%. When you're 43, it's like 5%. But nowadays, if we test the embryos and we know it's red, it doesn't matter if it's the red balls coming from a 35, 38, 42-year-old. It's just harder to find for the 42-year-old. But when you mm. find the red ball from a 42-year-old, that's going to be very similar to the red ball from a 22-year-old right so mm-hmm. now if you ask me what are the success rate it depends right if we know it's a red ball the success rate's very definable all right mm-hmm. and at most good centers across the country we're hitting about 65 to 70 percent
2: oh wow thank you so much for walking us through all of these details um i personally feel less afraid i think of the process which i think for a lot of women as you said it's the topic is becoming less taboo, but it's still fairly new for some circles. So we appreciate you kind of taking us behind the curtain and walking us through what a procedure would look like, what it would be like, what the side effects are. Um, Short term, it sounds like, you know, for, for, for the egg freezing in terms of the hormones. Um, to kind of wrap things up, for any couples out there who are just starting their pregnancy journey together... Um, or any woman or man who is single and maybe in their early 20s and and plan to have children in the future, what would you recommend for them to do um, if they're curious but not yet concerned about their fertility?
4: So simple things to do are just kind of being healthy, right? The healthier you Mm -hmm. are, um, the healthier your sperm and eggs will be, okay? So eating healthy, healthy lifestyle, you know, regular exercise, healthy weight, um, avoiding kind of uh, you know carcinogens that are included in kind of uh, you know, tobacco and nicotine and marijuana, we don't know these effects on sperm and eggs. So avoiding those things, but overall Mm -hmm. a healthy lifestyle will always be kind of, uh, you know, promoting kind of good fertility. So that's the first thing is that look, you know, when, especially when you're young, continue to kind of stay healthy and well, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after that, if, if anybody who's worried, right now, less, less for sperm, right? Sperm, again, the fact that it's making sperm is still going strong. So very rarely, would I kind of hear a man just get a semen analysis just for the sake of kind of checking his sperm counts. Does that make sense? Okay. Mm-hmm. Although there are some, curt, some cultures where that's kind of like a, a pre kind of a marriage thing. So certain cultures we see like, you know, they're, they're engaged. So they have to get a semen analysis to kind of make sure that there are good swimmers. So interestingly, there are some cultures that we see that happening for. Um, mm-hmm. But it's really kind of on the female side that, you know, Mm. as we talk tonight, it's, you know, the one thing that we can't reverse is age, right? Mm. If we can't reverse age, then at least we can do our best to kind of help kind of, you know, the aging process, right? So again, going back to the good health diets, rich in antioxidants are are very good for eggs, you know, berries kind of omega-3 fishes and stuff like that. Uh, Those are really good things. and then just having kind of an open dialogue with your OBGYN. You don't have to come to a fertility specialist at that early stage. OBGYNs are very good at kind of recognizing, okay, look, your periods are starting to get irregular. Your mom went through mm-hmm. menopause when she was 39. We should do some tests. So mm-hmm. those tests are a blood test, as simple as a blood test for AMH, FSH, okay? Maybe an ultrasound to get an idea of how many follicles we have. And if your reserve looks good, you know, at an early age when you're not really thinking about starting your family yet, That should be reassuring. As you get closer to the 35 mark, right? If you're not close to starting your family and family's important, okay? Or at least the option of family is important, then maybe meet with a fertility specialist like myself, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, Because then independent of whether your bucket has 15 or 20 or nine, you know, yours, if if a woman is still 35, um, or in your case, Janet, 36, right? You still have the healthy eggs. And, you know, if the, prospect of starting your family tomorrow isn't quite there yet, then meeting with a fertility specialist, either to give you reassurance that you still have time or, you know, to find out that, whoa, your follicle count's a little bit on the lower side. Let's get these younger eggs out now while you're still young and the probability of good eggs is still higher. Um, I think is a good conversation to have, you know, around the 35 mark. Mm.
3: Got it. That's super helpful. Thank you. Yeah. And I have one more question for you. Um, I'm at the age now where I think a lot of my friends are, you know, definitely um, sharing with me that they're having uh, difficulty conceiving and have um, shared that they're, you know, maybe going through IVF and stuff. And, you know, as a doctor who's really invested in your, in your, uh, in your patients, for me as a friend, how I can help someone who's going through infertility.
4: Right. Um, So that's a great question. Um, And the answer is don't let it be taboo, right? Mm -hmm. Because the more that you, and people are always afraid to ask about it, right? Like Mm -hmm. going through it and they didn't talk about it. Like if you feel comfortable knowing that they're going through infertility, ask them about it, right? Mm -hmm. Take away the stigma of them going through it alone, you know, meet with them and and talk to them and ask them what you can do to be supportive and uh, refer them to podcasts like this that help women understand that they are clearly not alone, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, there are groups that kind of get together and, and go over this stuff. So uh, I think just being supportive and not being afraid to talk about it and, and being available to your friend to let her know that, oh my gosh, I had a conversation with a doctor where he went over some good numbers that recognize that this is a pretty common occurrence and women are going through it every day, different ethnicities. So it's not it, it's not a process that is isolated to you know one population. This is kind of one thing that every population, every ethnic group, um, it's age-related and- You know, there's no fault to her. And and sometimes people have the stigma and the stigma is because it's my fault. You know, I didn't do this or I didn't do that, right? So I think just recognizing that 32 year olds have a hard time getting pregnant sometimes. It's nobody's fault, it's just bad luck, not finding the red ball and having the patience and fortitude to kind of seek help.
0: Right. I can only imagine you know, how lonely this journey must feel for a lot of women out there who might not feel comfortable talking about their fertility. But I am so glad that we had this conversation today so that we can help lessen that stigma. Um, and to any women out there who are on this journey of trying to become a mother, I hope you are constantly reminded through this podcast and through the words of Dr. Andy Huang that you, know, you are a strong patient resilient and definitely not alone in this journey. And with that, Dr. Annie Huang, is there anything else that you want to share with our audience before we close up this podcast?
4: You know, I was very excited uh, when I was invited to do this uh, podcast. I commend, you know, the three of you and and your efforts and keep doing what you're doing.
0: Thank you Mm. so much. Thank you. And you keep doing what you're doing too.
3: And we do have some shout outs for this episode. To Darcy from Michelle, congrats on becoming a licensed CLS. I am so proud of you and how much you flourished over the last 10 years. To Fiona, Emily's Forever Walking Talking Diary from Emily, Fiona's Findom, you deserve more than you gave yourself credit for. Forever your number one fan. To Francine from Arpita, you're going to crush it in grad school. All the best. And to his wife, Megan, from Eric in Dallas, a quick shout out to my lovely wife for challenging me to push for the highest goals. You're an absolute cheerleader and a true inspiration. If you'd like to send a shout out to a friend, check out our link tree and our link in bio on our
2: Instagram and click on shout outs. And last but not least, thank you to our super talented editor, Michelle, for working all of her magic on our episodes, including this one.
0: And with that, we will catch you all on the next episode. Bye.
1: Bye.